Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I like to put together where I like to talk about all things investing, where I share with you some of my observations and takes about what's going on in the stock market, as well as observations and takes by other people uh, about what's going on in the stock market. I also like to share here with you some of my thought processes and my rationales that I use to make my own investment investment decisions. The whole point the goal here is really hopefully you can take some nuggets of information, some ideas, some concepts, and be able to bring it back into your own personal uh, investing uh, domain, and hopefully it'll help you be able to frame your decisions uh, a little bit better, and ultimately, hopefully, they'll be more success- successful. My name is Amon Reina, and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And as an investment coach, what I do is, is I try to help people who want to become more financially independent problem is when people are aspiring to become more financially independent and start getting into the whole investing domain, they often feel confused, intimidated, or frustrated by the whole process. They either don't know where to start if they're new to investing or they've been investing for a long time but just aren't seeing their portfolios make any significant um, traction or progress. So what I try to do as an investment coach is, is I teach people, I engage with them on how to make more educated and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that they can achieve a certain level of financial freedom in their lives and, and achieve it with confidence. So this is part two in my little mini-series of investment decisions where I'm sharing, where I've been sharing with you sort of the thought processes that I've been that I incorporated uh, while the market was kind of having a bit of a a bit of a mini meltdown in uh, in early February Uh, in the first part I shared with you sort of my uh, decisions that I made involving adding buying more stock in 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 companies that I already own as well as uh, some decisions that I made to sell um, some stocks uh, during that time and the key, you know, takeaway here is 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 having that plan, and I talk about it quite in quite a bit of depth in part one, is having kind of that plan, that playbook in front of you, so when these turn stressful points happen in the markets, you're not sitting there going, okay, what do I do now? You have a playbook, you have a strategy, you have an ideology, and at that point, it's about execution. So in the case of the stocks that I bought, the additional shares that I bought in February. It was a matter of just me simply going down the list of my portfolio and going down my list and looking at company, looking at each individual stock and asking myself, has anything fundamentally changed with the business? And if the question is no, nothing has changed, the company is continuing to implement their strategy and they're, they're trying to achieve their strategic goals uh, and not trying to you know panic and, and do anything like that, then chances are I'm going to, pro- I, I would, I would end up buying uh buying more shares in the company. Conversely, if the company incur, incorporate or incurred some sort of game-changing, negative game-changer moment because of the market pullback, uh, then I would get out of it. But as, as, I've, as I've shared with you already, I, didn't, you know, I sold one stock, which was essentially reducing my short position, but everything else that I, you know, that I owned, uh, I bought more shares where I thought there was an opportunity because the stock price had fallen so, so much during that short period of time, so I took advantage of it. So I kind of talked a little about that in part one. Now, in the next couple of episodes, I really want to share with you some of my decisions that I made during that time that involved me adding new new stocks to my portfolio. Uh, And today I'm going to talk about Walmart. 
was one stock that I added to my portfolio uh, in February. Uh, the key thing was when I decided to add buy Walmart, it wasn't just it just the thought crossed my mind at that time, oh, I should buy Walmart. No, Walmart's and the other companies I'm going to talk to you about, I had them on my list. I've had, what, I've, what I've done over time is I've created this list. I have a, sort of like my, my wish list of companies and stocks that I want to own. Um, but I don't own, haven't owned because I've at some point I, when I did my analysis, I thought they were really expensive and probably weren't worth picking up at that point. But I really liked the company. I liked the business. I liked what they were doing. And I liked potentially where they could be going. And so what I've always done is when I discover these type companies in my analysis and my research, I always add it to my list and kind of sit back and wait for the stock price to kind of come back to me. And also assuming that the fundamentals of the business are the same as when I analyzed it previously. So in February, you know, Walmart was a stock I had on my list. And in February, you know, the market's kind of crapped out a bit. And there's a few things that went on with the company also, which I'll talk about. Um, but it was a combination of those events that really led me to ultimately say, you know what, hey, this may be a great time to jump in and buy some shares of Walmart. So what I'm going to do here today is just kind of walk you through the thought process and of how I came about deciding to make that decision. And in a way, I'm kind of regurgitating some stuff uh, um, in the past because I've kind of blogged about my experience with Walmart. This is the third time I've owned shares in Walmart and uh, and the previous two times that I've owned shares in it that were pretty good experiences. I, I made money, I was able to make money in both um, both times and so this is my third time into the stock. So uh, some of the things I've already blogged about, if you go to my website sageinvestors.ca and you go to my blog section, you can do a search and you can see some of the previous analysis that I've done on uh, Walmart. So let's just jump into it. Now one of the things, one of the key things uh, I also well, hopefully I want you to come away from these couple of episodes uh, is in terms of having a framework in terms of how you go about figuring out whether these stocks are worth buying or selling or keeping or whatever. It's really important. It's not just kind of like throwing darts at a board. And I know a lot of people do do that, but the reality is you kind of need to have a thought process and a rationale to fig you know, to be able to answer some key fundamental questions about the business. And then if you kind of have a good feeling about the way the business is evolving and the direction it's evolving, and ultimately if it's going to generate the financial performance and make the kind of create the kind of wealth that you think it potentially can do for shareholders, that's kind of where you want to do. But you need a, you need a framework, you need a process. And that's kind of one of the things I do as an investment coach is when I teach people, I teach people to kind of develop a framework in terms of how to analyze a company, what are the core questions you need to ask yourself when you're evaluating a company, and then being able to take that information and ultimately make a yes, no, buy, sell kind of decision. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to walk you through my thought process with Walmart, with my decision to buy Walmart, and it involves really answering a whole bunch of questions, a bunch of really simple, basic questions about the business, so I can get a better idea of what this business is all about, and ultimately if I want to buy shares in that business. So the first question I always ask myself when I'm looking at a company, a potential investment uh, company for investment, is what do they do? What do they sell? What is their value proposition? Um, what makes them unique in the sense of the type of products and services that they offer. So in the case of Walmart, I don't think I'm going to have to really go too in depth to really explain what Walmart is because I think pretty much everybody 
who would be listening to it, unless you've been truly living under a stone for the last 50 years, you really probably, or have been shipwrecked on a desert island, you probably know what Walmart is. Ultimately, Walmart is a retailer, is a discount retailer. Uh, it's considered, it is the largest retailer, uh, merchandise, grocery retailer in the, on the planet. This is a company that does almost, I believe, $700 billion a year in sales. It's the largest, um, one of the largest, if not the largest company on the planet. I'll give you some stats about it in a, in shortly. Um, but their value proposition is all about what's made Walmart what it is, is just offering lots of lots of goods at a really, really cheap price, at a really competitive price. Their value proposition is all about offering customers value. And, and that means low cost um, and low overhead and cutting costs wherever they can to save money so they can offer goods and services uh, to people at a lower price and just being competitive on price. Um, Walmart's kind of evolved in a way in the sense that it used to be pretty much just a merchandise kind of store where, you know, almost like your, you know, department story kind of thing where, you know, just buy apparel and, um, and other goods, but they've really evolved into more of a grocery kind of chain. And, you know, when I looked at some of the numbers, almost 56% of their sales now come from groceries, grocery, from food products. And almost half of the sales come from outside the U.S. So this is very much not just an, an American, U.S., North American kind of story. Walmart's very much a global player. Like, they're almost, in a way, a very multinational kind of company in that sense. So Walmart, when you think of Walmart, you think of discounted retailers, discounted, discounted retail, um, selling, you know, basic staples, basic, you know, food, staples, place to go for a toothpaste, underwear, you know, things like socks um, at a low price, at a lower price point. So that's Walmart, you know, in a nutshell. Um, in terms of who the, the second question I always ask myself is, okay, that's the company. Now, what does their competitive environment look like? Who do they compete with uh, in the retail side? Well, as I said, almost more than half of the company's sales now are, are in the grocery side and the food side. So a big competitive major competitor for them would be companies like Costco, um, Loblaws here in Canada, Sobeys, Metro, um, Safeway, uh, Whole Foods in a, to a certain extent, um, you know, Trader Joe's, stuff like that. Um, traditional grocery chains, that would be one source of competition for them. The other side of it, because they are a discount retailer, would be other kind of discount retailers out there, and those would be more like Ross Stores, Dollar General, Dollarama. Um, those are kind of the big ones that kind of jump out there. And then finally, really, and then obviously the other type of retail would be uh, Target. Target would be one, Sears, JCPenney, I guess, to a certain extent. Um, companies that sell goods that are really targeted at a middle class, middle mid-priced, low-priced discounted type goods. So those are kind of a lot of players. And so as you can see, there are a lot of players in here. And actually, I forgot, there's one more kind of somewhat important player that um, Walmart kind of has their eyes on and kind of always has their back on now, and that's Amazon. And Amazon essentially offers very much the similar type of product line as as Costco, as, as Walmart, but at a much at a, at a similar price point. But the difference being it's, it's all about online. It's an online retailer. And it's interesting, Amazon does about $100 billion of business, of sales every year, and a lot of people just say how Amazon's going to rule the world. Um, <laughs> put in context in, in Walmart's days or number, Walmart sells, as I said, they're almost selling like about 700 million 
Um, yeah, like they generate, I'm just looking at the numbers, half a trillion dollars in sales last year. So that's $500 billion in sales. Amazon does like 100. And, but granted, it's growing quite, quite fast. But um, Walmart is just sort of still, as far as I can see, it's still the dominant player in, in retail. And it's Walmart in terms of sales, and literally it's everybody else right after it. Um, not to say that those other companies can be very competitive, and they have, and they have in, kind of chipped away at the company. But right now, Walmart is the beast right now in town for now. So that's a competitive environment. Next question I ask is who 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 goes to Walmart? Who buys stuff from Walmart? Um, technically, as I said, you know they're they're a discount retailer chain, so chances are they're going to be targeting middle class you know you would think they'd be targeting middle to lower class uh, who are looking for you know good value cheap goods um, but I'll tell you what like I think there's something to be said for um, the upper as you go up the upper side of the in the upper of the income scale I think there's a lot of closet Walmart shoppers out there I always hear people I remember when I was in school studying there were people that I would study with who would say oh you wouldn't catch me and these are people like very well-to-do people they were saying, you know, I would be caught dead at a Walmart. It's like, you know, for the lower, it's like for the lower form of life. Um, and I know people who have never been to a Walmart and who are, you know, who are very well, well off and everything, but just wouldn't be caught dead there and say, I have no desire to go to a Walmart. But it's funny, you go to a parking lot in a Walmart and you'll just see tons of Audis and BMWs and Porsches and, you know, um, really expensive cars, and they're all shopping. You know, it's not a, you're seeing a whole bunch of clunkers out there. You're seeing a lot of well-to-do people do shop at Walmart, but just you know, they're looking for value, right? And a lot of wealth, you know, wealthy people do are looking for a deal. They just don't want to admit because they don't want to uphold some sort of weird status. But um, I think every, the reality is, you know, who shops at Walmart? I think everybody shops at Walmart. There's a lot of everybody just won't admit it. I shop at Walmart, like. It's I I don't feel any different indifferent about it, um, and then which leads into the next question, question four, which is, all these people that shop at Walmart are they just going there like once in a while, or are they going there over and over and over again? Because one of the things I want to look for in a business is I want companies that can invest in companies that are going to generate repetitive business, not just sell something for you know once and then they won't sell it to the same person for like ten years from now. You want constant churn you want constant flow into the stores because if it's constant flow in the stores people are going to spend money revenues can become more consistent they grow and ultimately the value and the profitability of the company is going to be much higher so when i look at walmart i get again i go you know i just do the eyeball test just walk into one there's always lineups now some people say this you know there are some um, operational issues with the company but the reality is even despite that, people still go there, and the parking lots are always full. I see the shopping carts people walk out with. They're always full. People shop at Walmart, and uh, again, the part is, you know, it's, it is a grocery chain. It has a food, a bit of a, it has a food influence in here, so, um, yeah, so if you're going to need food, again, it's one of the core pillars I have when I'm looking for companies is that, uh, is sort of, do they sell something that people need over and over and over again, and clearly with staple, type of staple products, um, clothing products, apparel, um, and groceries, chances are people are going to be not just shopping once in a while at a Walmart, they're going to be there over and over and over again. And that's, from an investment perspective, that's kind of what we want to see. Fifth question is, is do we, does it make money? Does Walmart actually make money? And is it profitable? And 
you know, this is a you know a core fundamental question we have to ask ourselves as investors is do they make money? So one of the key metrics I try to look at that I use to help me frame whether determine whether a company is, is truly creating value, creating tangible wealth for its shareholders is return on invested capital, which is basically a net operating profit divided by total capital invested. Back of the envelope, you can use something like total assets. Um, when you look at the return on capital, invested capital for Walmart over the last three years, it comes in between 15 and 17%, which is pretty decent. And if you compare it to the company's cost of capital, it's come, which is about 9%, when you factor that in, the company is generating tangible profit. It's creating positive economic profit. And ultimately, as, as an investor, as a shareholder, I want to invest in companies that are creating tangible wealth because ultimately the stock market is going to recognize that and it's going to put a premium on that company's stock. So um, when I look at it, strong returns on invested capital. In fact, last year I did a quick calculation. The company generated $7.3 billion in economic profit. That's $7.3 billion in tangible wealth. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> and that's based on like, you know half a trillion dollars in sales. Um, as I said, they're five times the size of Amazon. And uh, sometimes and a lot of times as I'm going to talk about, it, they just don't seem to get a lot, a lot of love for it um, because it's not growing like Amazon, this whole growth obsession type thing. So do they make money? Absolutely. They're probably one of the most profitable companies on the planet uh, right now, and they consistently have always been. Um, next question, which is my question six, is what do they own and who do they owe money to? Now, this is pretty much looking at the company's financial position, their financial strength. Is this, is this a company that's going to be in business for a long period of time, or is this company got issues with financial issues that could potentially impair the company and create problems for the company in the short to medium term? So that, and to figure that out, we often go to the balance sheet and do some quick um, hit some quick ratios to give us a quick size up on, on that on to, to assess this um, uh, quality of, of the financial position of the company um, when you look at a few things from a liquidity perspective their ratio of current assets to current liabilities is under one which is not the greatest thing we want to see but again the nature of the, the amount of cash this company throws off um, kind of compensates it for it. Usually if a company's current ratio liquidity level is below one in terms of short-term assets and term versus short-term liabilities, that's kind of a bit of a turnoff normally for me. Um, but then I'm looking at, when I looked at Walmart, when you look at this, the whole picture of it, um, it's something that they can manage very, very efficiently. And, and they've done, they liked, because they do like to keep their inventory levels very kind of strict, um, it does put pressure sometimes on their liquidity side, but not to the point where they're probably going to go bankrupt or anything. They're far from it. Um, the other thing I like to look at the company's financial position is their debt, this amount of debt relation in relation to the amount of equity that's in the company. Um, right now, Walmart's debt to equity is about 0.5, which is somewhat high, but it's not obscenely high. You know, if a company, you know, obviously for me, the lower the debt level, the better, I, I think, but... There's nothing wrong with having debt if you have cash flow to pay out, pay it off consistently. And Walmart um, definitely has throws off a lot of free cash flow, and so it's more in a better position to 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 manage this debt load very effectively um, from that side of it. If you looked at the company's uh, quality of assets, um, 
it's pretty decent. It's not. Uh, and they own a lot of really high quality assets. I was just. I, I was kind of floored by some stats that I came across in terms of what all Walmart owns. And right now, if you just looked at them right now, they have they have the mo largest fleet of trucks in the world. They are one of the highest employed people. They employ one of the most. How do I say that? They employ the most among the most people employed. <laughs> Out there, the one of the, they're the one of the businesses out there that employ one of the most highest um, payrolls out there. I guess is the best way to look at it. They have one of the largest real estate footprints in terms of stores. They have s thousands of stores out there around the world. Some other interesting stats: they actually sell more guns than anybody on the planet. So it's interesting. A few weeks ago, when Walmart said they were going to increase the age restriction on their guns, on, on who can purchase guns. You know that was a big deal because Walmart is you know, they are the largest you know uh, retailer of guns in in the in, in the U.S. and so if they're restricting putting more restrictions on that that's a, that sends a pretty damning message and shows how influential a company like Walmart could be in terms of from a social from a social perspective uh, on things. Oh yeah, and also by the way, they also sell more bananas than anybody on the planet too. So just FYI there. So in terms of what they own, they are just the behemoth. They're just the biggest of the biggest in terms of assets, in terms of financial, in terms of their financial position. Uh, question seven: How risky is the business? This is where we start looking. At, okay, what could, what's out there that could really take Walmart down? And really not destroy it, but really shrink itself into something much more inferior. Um, the th the reality is, it's really because of the sheer size of it. Probably one of the biggest risks with the company is just they're they're so huge that when things come up, when new trends and new technologies and new you know ideas come out in terms of how to do retail. Um, they may not be the quickest to react to those things, maybe compared to like an Amazon or other smaller kind of retailers. They're definitely not as nimble about it. And a lot of criticism they have gotten in the past was because of their lack of their online presence. And again, this is the whole Amazon thing coming into play. And, and the company has admitted that and has tried to address it. And what they've done is, is try to build up their competency base. And one of the big reasons why they went out and, and did some um, partnership type agreements, one with JD.com, which is a really big um, e-commerce uh, retailer in China, is building that competency and building that uh, online infrastructure to really compete head-to-head -head with, with Amazon. And if you look at their results, the early returns, they've looked pretty good. Their online sales up until this last quarter were growing at almost 40% per quarter, 40% annually, um, which is great. And so the company has, I think, understood that the risk, and they've, they're really throwing a lot of money to mitigate that risk and managing that risk and learning how to better do online retail. And if they do so, then they could become a really formidable competitor to Amazon and really maybe the competitor to Amazon um, from that side of it. They've also, you know, uh, expanded in terms of how, in terms of their online presence, they're partnering with JD.com I talked about. They're partnering with Google or Alphabet in terms of making their entire uh, inventory available um, to Google. So there's opportunities to kind of cross-platform where people could buy stuff from Walmart through the Google platform. 
that's an interesting concept. And I'll talk about you know owning the OS for 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 retail in a second. But um, <clears throat> they are they're facing a lot of there's a lot of competitive pressures. Amazon is the big one, um, and the, the the limitation is just their ability to pivot to react to these kind of threats and to these changes in, in the in the competitive landscape in the business environment. Can they do it? And that's probably why people weigh down, have the stock gets weighed down on it, is because a lot of people don't think they can do it. Um, so that's one side of it, and that's a risk that we have to look at. Uh, finally, we've gone through all this stuff. We know I know a little bit more about the company. I know what they do. I know who their competitors are. I know who their um, competition is. I know if they're making money or not. I know financially how strong they are. I know what could possibly take the company down a few notches from a risk perspective. At the end of the day, if I'm going to seriously think about buying the stock, I want to buy it at a good price. I want to, I want to get a deal on it. So the question, last question I always ask myself is, is the stock cheap? What's the stock trading? What's the value on this stock right now? If I were to kind of ballpark a value for this, for the stock, is it cheap or is it expensive? So throwing a couple few numbers out there at you, from a, if you compare Walmart to other companies, so on a relative basis in terms of price earnings multiples, they're trading at about 22 times forward earnings, which is pretty pricey compared to other um, other retails out there. There are cheaper retail uh, stocks out there compared to Walmart. Um, in terms of valuation, if you're putting a valuation on it, I've seen valuations for Walmart stock come in between $88 and $106. Right now, I think it's trading at about 80. It's trading at about $88. So it's, if you're looking at it right now, it's kind of almost fairly valued in that sense. So Walmart, it's not a cheap stock right now, um, based on where it is right now. And it's interesting though because a month ago. When I started looking at the stock in February, they reported their quarterly earnings. And what happened was, it was actually a really good report because their same store sales, same store sales were actually at the highest level um, in like four years. And it's interesting because Walmart, in previous reports that I've read about them, always get criticized for their low sales, same store sales. And they always got criticized for their online sales. But it's interesting because in their last report, they reported their sales, same store sales were up 4%, was the highest in four years. They reported their online sales were up only 20% compared to 40% in the previous quarters. Whatever that was, the markets hated it and the stock got taken down. It was trading at one point in January at about $110 a share. Then the earnings report came out and the stock got killed. It actually suffered the biggest one-day trading loss in like 10 years. And it fell all the way down into the mid-90s and it actually went even lower. It's now trading in the, it's trading, I think it's trading at $88 right now as I'm, as I'm speaking right now. Um, so the stock is just, stock's gotten killed in the last, in the last while. Um, and it kind of got killed in, in, in the same time as all the garbage was going on with the markets and the markets falling back. It was just adding fuel to the fire in terms of, I think that played a factor in terms of um, the stock going down as aggressively as it did. So at that point, when it, when it was falling, I just basically went through what I just went through. I just went through answering these questions and saying, okay, is fundamentally anything bad about the company? Is anything really negatively impacted by the business? And 
the answer I came out of this was no. I think the company is still the dominant retailer out there. They're definitely making an attempt to become more, uh, have an online presence. They've, they've invested heavily in terms of building that infrastructure, bringing in people and uh, partnering up with, with organizations that have a better competency of online retail than they do. They're building up that, that kind of that bench strength. And at the end of the day, they're making money. They're making tangible wealth. They're doing a pretty good job. So they're not doing 40% growth. They're growing 20%. They're growing in the right direction. So when I factor all this stuff in, um, I feel like the stock kind of got taken down way too much, more than it really needed to. And so I looked at it as, as a buying opportunity um, where I could probably take down, um, you know, I thought, you know what? I'll just open up, a, a buy a small position in the company, in, in the stock, and kind of see how it goes. And if it falls down further, I'll buy more shares. Because ultimately, I think this is one of the dominant retailers in the, com in the, in, in the world. And if I can get this kind of company for 10, 15, 20% cheaper, like, that's a great deal. That's, that, to me, that's good shopping. So I've put all these factors together. And I thought, you know what? I think, I'm gonna, I think this is a, a, a good opportunity to jump in and take a small position and kind of get in the game with, with Walmart again. So that's essentially what I did. I bought in when the market was, was kind of crapping out that week, first week in February. The earnings came out, and that day it had that huge loss, that, uh, that $10 loss. I went in and I bought shares. And then it subsequently it went down even lower. It went below $90, and I bought more shares at that time too. So I've kind of just followed, and that's my playbook. I'm just kind of following in, buying a little bit by little bit by little bit, lowering my costs down. I'm not in the stock to flip it tomorrow. Um, you know, these are companies that when I'm looking at, I'm looking at, I'm comfortable holding a company like this for, you know, two, four, five years, no problem. Um, as long as, you know, as long as the fundamentals of the business stay the same and it delivers the type of uh, performance that it's consistently been doing. Um, even though Wall Street has totally different opinions about it, and the analyst side of it have totally different opinions, uh, I, I'm I'm feeling for, I felt pretty good about taking the other side of that of the of that trade and uh, and going for it. So that's kind of what I did, and that's ultimately where I came down to that uh, to decision to buy to buy Walmart stock. So I bought it, and uh, let's see what happens. Let's see how it goes. So. That's about it. If you have any questions about kind of uh, what I've done here, feel free to reach out to me. Also, I just want to make sure everybody knows that um, my on my website, sageinvestors.ca, I actually have a blog where um, I did a blog post uh, where I've pretty much walked through each of the decisions I made. So for Walmart, there's a section. I did one post on Walmart, so you can actually see in writing what I um, what I did and sort of what I was thinking at the time and how I was kind of looking at the company. So you can have a check on that on my website, sageinvestors.ca. If you have any questions about this or any of my other previous episodes and podcasts, feel free to reach out to me from my, to my website. You can email me through there, sageinvestors.ca. Or you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at sageinvestors. I'm on there all the time tweeting about random uh, observations about the market, tweeting with, uh, sharing uh, some other people's observations about what's, what they're seeing in the market that I think are really worth noting and kind of factor it, that I'm factoring into making my own decisions. So check me out on Twitter. I'm also on Facebook where I post my, uh, all my podcasts and blogs and everything. And also articles are on there. You can find me through uh, 
Sage Investors. Just do a search on Sage Investors. Finally, I'm kind of playing around on Instagram, um, trying to try some stuff out there with, with Instagram, trying to connect out with some people out there. So if you're on Instagram and you want to check my stuff out, feel free to follow me on uh, Instagram. My handle is at Sage Investors Nation. Sage Investors Nation. That's where I'm on Instagram. Also, just want to leave you with another th another uh, item. If you're interested, also every Wednesday morning, I send out an email. I call it In the Loop. It's basically where I share with you my latest links to my latest uh, podcasts, uh, uh, podcasts, blogs, videos, mind map videos. Uh, if you're into that kind of stuff, because uh, usually before I even tell anybody else, the first people I tell are the people that uh, on my email every Wednesday morning. That's usually my my release date for all my new content on my website. So you can, if you're interested, you can check me out. Uh, just sign up for my email and make sure you'll get an email every Wednesday morning when you wake up. Um, and I call it In The Loop. So if you want to do that, you can check me out there. And I think that's it. I think that's all I got. Quite a lot on the table today. So this is the first of a couple of podcasts that I'm going to be doing where I'm going to walk walking through some of my own decisions to buy new stocks. Today was Walmart. I got a couple more coming up. Uh, you can check out to the next couple. Also, I'm going to walk you through a couple of other stocks that I decided to buy and share with you my thought process that led me to make those decisions. So that's all I got for you today. Thank you very much for listening in. This has been Stock Talk. My name is Amin Reina from Sage Investors, and we'll catch you again another time. Take care. Bye-bye.